facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. So glad you're with me today on The Kale Clark Show. It is, of course, Tuesday. I had to check that. I had to check my phone. What day is it? Tuesday, the 9th of January, 2024. And you can call me once more to talk to me, 888-914-9149. If you have a question for me or my guest, well, I will introduce to you in just a moment. Talk about something that went viral yesterday in the church and in the world. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Toll free to talk to me. Our listener line sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. You can also, of course, email the program. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And you can find me on the interwebs on X at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark, with an E. But once again, that listener line to call, 888-914-9149. Well, yesterday, Pope Francis gave his annual State of the World address, as it's been called. It's really his foreign policy speech. All of the ambassadors to the Vatican from all around the world, all kinds of territories and 184 countries the Vatican has diplomatic relations with. A real chance for him to speak his mind on a number of issues. And his comments specifically on the issue of surrogacy. Surrogate mothers went viral, covered by every major news outlet, including the New York Times, Washington Post. And here to talk about this on The Kale Clark Show is the Director of Church Management Programs at the Bush School of Business at the Catholic University of America. And if that wasn't enough, he's also a professor of ethics at the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross in Rome. Father Robert Gall is my guest today for the first time on the program. Father Bob, thanks for taking the time. How are you? Thank you, Kale. It's great to be on your show. Absolutely. It's so good to have you here. Well, Father Bob, for, for those who may not know exactly what the problem is with surrogacy, first of all, can you, can you explain to our listeners, I think most people have an idea, but what exactly is surrogacy? What exactly happens during the process of surrogate motherhood? Sure, but if I could just uh, just real quick, um, also regarding my, my biography and this topic, just indicate how when the Pope made this statement, how it warmed my heart, because <clears throat> I'm, in many ways I'm a John Paul II priest, and mm. in many ways, in fact, he ordained me to the priesthood in Rome in St. Peter's Basilica. And I've you know, been teaching ethics and bioethics in Rome at an international university. <clears throat> and I actually was, had the opportunity to discuss with John Paul II personally, one-on-one, -on -one, a seminar that was a, that I was teaching on bioethics. And this is all relevant because Pope Francis came out with this statement yesterday condemning uh, sur surrogate motherhood and asking that there be an international prohibition and in that venue, speaking to 184 diplomats rec representing basically all the countries on earth, mm -hmm. demanding this prohibition of uh, surrogate motherhood, it, it was really powerful. And it warmed my heart because the way the Pope, Pope Francis, the way he explained it, really indicated his appreciation for the teaching of St. John Paul II as the Pope of the family. Yeah. And this is very much rooted in the family and marriage and respect for the human being. But most essentially, and this is really what's at stake here, because people who seek surrogate motherhood, which is there's many different techniques that, that can be used, but it always involves having a woman somehow impregnated or somehow mm -hmm. conceive 
a first an embryo and then a fetus, and that she signs a contract from the beginning such that she's going to relinquish her maternity over this child that she's bearing within her uterus, within her mm -hmm. womb, which is a tremendous violation of her motherhood, of her femininity. It's really making her own body an object of commerce. Mm -hmm. And so it's an, it is a kind of slavery, but it's a kind of contractual slavery in which the person consents normally due to duress that they're experiencing. In fact, and this is, Pope Francis is very attentive to this, oftentimes those who contract a surrogate mother are doing so from a wealthy country and they're seeking out women in poor countries. Sometimes we're in very, very difficult situations, even trying to feed, feed their own children. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. And with that difficulty of impoverishment <clears throat> are taken advantage of by these international uh, companies and the buyer who's purchasing her for nine months so she can carry to term the baby. And then once she gives birth to the baby and she looks the baby in the eyes, she has to hand him over because she signed he or she, the boy or the girl, over to this other family. And then what kind of a family is it? Depending on the country, the United States, we, we, we're, we're really wild west. We don't have any restrictions on this. So it could be an individual. It could be um, a same-sex couple. And then there's also the issue of legal paternity and how they are recognized. So, of course, what the church teaches regarding this, and this was developed under John Paul II, is that every human being is made in the image of God. And every one of us has infinite human dignity and should be respected. And none of us can be treated as a mere instrument. And what happens here, though, this is the other feature, which is the tragedy of infertility of those couples mm -hmm. yeah. who a mother and a father, uh, a husband and a wife who would like to have uh, a baby and they're not able to conceive for whatever difficulty that they're experiencing. And given that that difficult situation, sometimes if sometimes will turn to adoption. Uh, sometimes they'll simply seek their fatherhood, their motherhood in some other endeavor, like in, in education, teaching, apostolate. Mm -hmm. yeah. But sometimes they seek a baby through this route. But what the church teaches is that we can never make a human being an object of commerce. We have to always consider every child a gift from God. And each one of us, in fact, is deeply a gift from God. This is crucial that we acknowledge this, that all of us acknowledge this, that our very being is a gift. And therefore, we can give ourselves back to God. And this is really the, the teaching that, that Pope Francis announced yesterday, which is really a cry for justice around the world. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. My guest is Father Robert Gall. We're talking about Pope Francis's very forceful statements yesterday against surrogacy. And, and you mentioned the connections that Pope Francis has with the, in continuity with JP2 as the Pope of the family. But also he used another phrase there. Father Robert, in his text, he mentioned another uh, very, very powerful line that was quote, that was really coined by JP2, the culture of death. And, and that very much factors into this, especially in the case of IVF. IVF is obviously one of the methods by which surrogacy is achieved. Talk about some of the moral issues involved with this practice, because there are so many Catholics out there. Forget about people outside of the church, Catholics that see nothing wrong with this type of procedure and, and speak to the moral depravity of this. Right, right. Uh, so you bring up the details, Kale, regarding IVF, which, uh, of course, rep indicates rep represents in vitro fertilization. <clears throat> and the Catholic Church distinguishes between homologous, homologous, and heterologous in vitro fertilization. And homologous um, or homologous 
is when the gametes, so the, the sperm and the egg cell, are coming from a couple who are married to one another. Mm. And that's, in a sense, that's the best possible scenario of what is already a tragic situation, where people are using a method that supplants, takes the place of the marital embrace, which is an expression of love between the husband and wife, and they're using a technical means and other people are stepping in and taking over the role of reproduction from the parents, but using the seed, so the gamete from from he and from she, in order to um, in order to then develop this baby within another woman. So one of the problems here is there's a multiplication of maternities. Like we can mm-hmm. ask, well, who's the mom? And well, is the, the is the mom the donor of the egg? Is the mom the one who made the, signed the contract that she's paying off this woman who's carrying to term the baby, or is the mom the one who's carrying to term? You can have at least three moms in this way, and you can also you could also consider well, what about the doctor that's doing the the in vitro fertilization, or what about the doctor that's doing the implantation because they do the in vitro fer- fertilization mm-hmm. in a laboratory and it's in vitro, so it's in a basically a petri dish. But then later they, they look for the right timing in order to do the implantation within the surrogate mother. So each of these steps, you could have a woman involved or a man. You have these multiplications of who's the mother and who's the father. And all of this requires some recognition in law because every baby under law is born and the question of birth certificate or who are the parents? Who's the mother? Who's the father? So I mentioned the homologous and the heterologous uh, fertilization. Mm-hmm. The heterologous is when you go to a donor. So you can have a sperm donor, you can have a, an egg donor, you can have the surrogate mother. And so right there, you've got, there could be three people who have nothing to do with the commissioner of the contract, where those who intend to become the parents under law. That's often how it works in the United States, that you, there's some celebrities who without going through mm-hmm. pregnancy themselves and without knowing who the father is, it may just be a sperm donor. Suddenly they have a child. And a child was born from a surrogate mother and from a sperm donor, perhaps also from an egg donor. So all of this is a commercialization of the human being, treating the human being like an object. And Pope Francis rec- uh, rightly called it trafficking in persons. And therefore, mm-hmm. it should be an international crime. Yeah, that, that, that is a fascinating point. And I want to I actually, this is probably a good time to to mention that, actually, because in the media, punditry, there, there's often been a narrative out there that Pope Francis is at odds with Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney, especially on issues concerning migration and, and and all of that sort of stuff. But this is kind of interesting because on this issue of surrogacy and the potential of banning it under law, which which a lot of people, let's face it, feels impossible. They think it's a pie in the sky type of thing to have international laws against this practice. There's a real agreement here, isn't there, between Francis and Maloney? What's interesting here, indeed, um, is is not not only is there agreement, but the political legal situation in Italy lends a kind of force to the Pope's words. Because one might think, well, who is the Pope to declare this? And for us Christians, for us Catholics, we recognize him as the world authority in moral affairs. So the only one, in fact, who can really stand up and make a demand like this. But then we could ask, but how much traction politically is he actually going to get? Because, you know, who is he accounted to? Who are the, what's the electorate? Or what kind of military does he have? And from that perspective, you say, well, this is just a pie in the sky idea, what Pope Francis is saying. But in fact, Georgia Maloney has pushed through with her government um, 
So she's a prime minister of, of Italy. And she's a really an unusual person. She declares herself Christian. Mm-hmm. She can, declares herself a mother. And she can, considers herself proudly an Italian. But she isn't married. And she doesn't seem to be practicing the, mm. the, the Catholic faith. Uh, it's it's i mean her her personal life is kind of an odd thing perhaps let's hope yeah. hope that she's on the way to some conversion but her government has succeeded in passing legislation that is highly restrictive of surrogacy in italy to the point that the italian laws have been challenged by the european union saying that they're a violation of rights it's actually it's a very hmm. interesting kind of technical legal detail with respect to that but the italian government led by Giorgia maloney has demanded that surrogacy be universally prohibited. And here you have Pope Francis declaring it before all of the ambassadors of all the countries of the world. <laughs> that is quite fascinating, isn't it? My guest is Father Robert Gall. We're talking about Pope Francis's viral comments on surrogacy, calling it exploitation, trafficking, a grave violation of the dignity of women and children. And this language of, of, of rights, Father, this is intriguing because I want to read to you a paragraph, which you know very well, obviously. It's a it's a, a piece from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. This is paragraph 2378, which says that a child is not something owed to one, but is a gift. The supreme gift of marriage is a human person. A child may not be considered a piece of property, an idea to which an alleged quote-unquote right to a child would lead. In this area, only the child possesses genuine rights, the right to be the fruit of the specific act of the conjugal love of his or her parents and the right to be respected as a person from the moment of his or her conception. So I I, I do think this paragraph really does focus on the key issue when it comes to whose rights are really at stake here. Well, yeah, this, yeah, this, there's a great passage from the Catechism of the Catholic Church and speaking about rights, what this is all rooted in is insolment or the spirituality of the human person. There's uh, the wonderful gift that we are not merely bodies, we're not merely animals, but we all have a spiritual soul, which means that each of us is created from nothing by God. You know, of course, our bodies are, you know, furnished from the, the biological material from our parents. And this is why with human beings, we don't speak of reproduction, but of procreation, because the human parents participate in creation. This is how the, the, the Catholic Church appreciates human sexuality so much that it considers it something divine, participating mm. in God's creative act. And this is because the human being is an image of God. We are like God. And with you know the Christmas message, we're just concluding with epiphany and so forth, that we share in God's nature, that each of us is a spark from God, that we are children of God. And therefore, for a parent to say of their child, that they somehow own them or possess them or can somehow make them in a lab would demean the meaning and the rights of all of us. Mm. And this is where Pope Francis is combating what he calls the throwaway culture, which is what Pope Benedict called the dictatorship of relativism, where people Mm. say, well, I want it, so I'm going to get it. And that's the idea of, well, I'm going to buy a child. I'm going to pay for it in the market of surrogacy because I want to have a child and I have a right to a child. Well, if if that's allowed, then everyone can be considered a mere object of other people's possession and their desire. Yeah, that's absolutely chilling to think about. But 
Father Robert Gall is my guest today on the, on the Kale Clark Show. There are probably some people out there, maybe people who, who have engaged in, in surrogacy. They, they have children they've obtained through surrogacy, and maybe at the time they didn't think there was a moral issue with it. What would you say to a couple who might be listening right now and only now maybe realizing the grave moral error involved in, in what they've done? What would you say? So this is also an issue, of course, for those who have participated in in vitro fertilization. <clears throat> yes, absolutely. And of, course, and of course, what we believe is every human being is a gift from God. Every human being is an image of God. However we were, we were produced, let's say, however we came about, if we came about through the plan that God has designed, which is that of the marital embrace of love, or if it was through this kind of possessive technical process that supplants the marital act. That, that person who results, that child, is always of infinite dignity and is an image of God, and therefore they must be loved. They must be loved really as an end in themselves and for their own mm-hmm. sake, which is how all good parents love their children. Yeah. They don't love them the way they might love their pet, which is, oh, well, you know, it's, I like it. It's nice to be around. Uh, it does these things for me. Sometimes the two, I know some people have a very deep affection for their pets, but for our children, it must be as an end in themselves destined to eternal life, whereby parents love their children so that they might be in heaven with them forever. And this is why marriage is indissoluble, because it's forever, because every human being is to be loved that way, because we represent God. So if someone has used one of these techniques that replaces or supplants the marital act, it's 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 good to recognize that error and that mistake while at the same time one can embrace the gift that one has received because the gift is always from God. Life is always caused by God in cooperation with technology and human beings. Hopefully, you know, primarily through human beings, although also, you know, we can use technology. We should use technology. In mm-hmm. fact, the church is probably the organization in the world, the institution that most encourages the development of science insofar to really help fertility. That's right. Not supplant for not not supplant fertility, but to assist fertility. And there's there there are many in the scientific world who immediately run to well, let's do IVF if there's a problem with that with fertility. Whereas what the church recognizes, well, let's see if if it's on the male side or on the feminine side or both, man or the woman, if there's something that we can do to assist to cure some issue of infertility. And very many times, in fact, there are marvelous clinics in the United States that are doing just great work in this area that are curing women so that they can overcome issues of fertility that often have other implications of their own health. And and this is just just a wonderful contribution where there are many children who have come into the world on account of these cures and on these therapies that assist marital love rather than replace it. Yeah, and that's a great distinction to make, Father, about technologies that assist God's gift of marital love and conceiving a child. And you're talking to a guy who, who struggled for many years with my wife with, with infertility. We, we were able to uh, achieve pregnancy, kind of not through any of the techniques that, that are morally licit, just by God's grace, really. But, but what, are, what are some of those organizations? If, you could, if, if somebody is struggling with that and wants to go about achieving conception, childbirth in a morally licit way, what are some of those organizations that Catholics can look towards? Sure. One of them that is, is probably the most well-known and the, uh, the most major one is originally based in Nebraska. That's called the Creighton uh, Method and the Creighton Clinic uh, that's, uh, that has a network of doctors, uh, gynecologists, OBGYNs that are formed in techniques that they, they deal with um, in helping so many features of female health. 
and including in this area of reproductive health in order that they can, uh, so many have been graced with the opportunity to have children. It, it's also true, like I know couples who even taking simple supplements and it could be on the man's side that uh, in particular, there, there's some supplements that a man can take that can enhance his uh, fertility. And I know and there, there's so many cases when the child is recognized as a gift from God, mm. there's often a life of prayer that's associated with the desire for a child, recognizing a child as a gift and beseeching from God through perhaps a powerful intercessor. It could be Our Lady, could be one of the saints, could be St. Joseph. And I know of a case of St. Padre Pio being the intercessor. And not only did a baby ensue, but multiple babies <laughs> subsequently wow. due to Padre Pio's powerful, miraculous intercession and some supplements. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and, and hey, we, we've got to use the, the natural means as well as the supernatural, that, that's for sure. So people should talk to their doctors. And hey, another saint that helps in that regard, St. Jose Maria Scrivats' birthday today, uh, we... we asked for his intercession before uh, we achieved uh, our pregnancy with Michaela. And um, so got a shout out to St. Jose Maria as well. Give him some credit there as well. <laughs> but having oh, said that, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and let me, let me ask you also before you go, father, cause I know, I know you're on a tight schedule. We really do appreciate you taking the time. Father Robert Gall from the Catholic University of America and the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross in Rome is my guest today. T- talk to me about your time so far at the Catholic University of America and, and this incredible program that you're involved with. Oh, yeah. Thanks for asking, Kale, because it's really exciting. So we started this uh, just a few months ago, and it's uh, called the it's a Master of Science in Church Management. And our aim is to reform all church institutions so that they can wow. <laughs> in it's a big see, task. yeah it's not, not nothing shorter than that so we we <laughs> we need all the help that we can get and we're actually we're already having a really strong impact in a number of dioceses and so what we're doing is we're helping people see in church organizations like especially at the parish level the parish is really our paradigm how parishes can be run in such a way that they use best business practices of accountability of transparency hmm. most of all of really adhering to their mission this is so important yeah. for any business enterprise, which really means if we're really on fire with love for our Lord and we follow the motions of the Holy Spirit and we dedicate ourselves to prayer, that that is good business practice for the church. <laughs> having adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, having a schedule of the Sacrament of Confession, which the Sacrament of Confession, we are dispersing grace, which is like the, you could say the product, one of the products that the church offers is to be in the state of sanctifying grace. And how powerful the sacrament of confession is this. So how, how we can be more effective in distributing the sacraments, in reaching the people, and more effective in, in evangelization. So this requires not just having the priest do all of this, but of course it requires what we call co-responsibility of the laity being very much involved so that the priest is less a businessman and more and more the pastor, more and more the, the minister of the sacred sacraments and preaching. Because, you know, the priest who's a pastor, he's in charge of all the parish facilities. So if the heating, the air conditioning goes down, he's responsible. But if he has uh, lay people upon whom he can rely, who are really the experts in that area. You know, the priest is oftentimes yeah. not an expert in air conditioning. He need <laughs> not be. But he should be an expert in the sacrament of confession. <laughs> so yeah. working together, we could do so much more and, and really expand the reach of the evangelization of the church. That, that's our aim. So where that's the programs incredible. are open to priests and a laity. Uh, that's incredible. Father Robert Gall, I wish we had more time to talk about that. That's another show. We'll have to have you back. But for now, how can people reach out to you or learn more about you and your work? 
Oh, yes, sure. So I'm at, um, my last name is Gall, G-A-H-L, and it's at cua.edu is my email address. And if you just Google uh, Catholic University of America Business School, it's a Bush School of Business, and uh, M-E-A-M is the Master's of Ecclesial Administration and Management is the title of our degree program. So M-E-A-M is, uh, you, you can find uh, all information about our, our program. Oh, man, that's fantastic. Father Robert, I thank you so much for taking the time today. Wonderful conversation, so enlightening. Hope to have you back soon. God bless you. Thank you, Caleb. God bless. All right, that was Father Robert Gall from the Catholic University of America. And we will be right back after this break on The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. We just had a wonderful conversation with Father Robert Gall from the Catholic University of America. If you missed it, we were talking about Pope Francis's viral comments on surrogacy all over the news yesterday. Uh, so enlightening. If you missed that, you can check the podcast, which should be up a few minutes after the show on the Relevant Radio app. And if you don't have the Relevant Radio app, what are you waiting for? It's been recently updated. We think you'll find it a lot easier to use and a lot more fun. How could it get more fun? Well, that's a great question, but you'll just have to find out for yourself. Go to your app store on your respective device, whether it's Google Play or the Apple App Store, and download it. Get the latest version. 888-914-9149 is our listener line on the K.O. Clark Show. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to David in California. No, no Cal. Hey, David. Hi. How you doing, Kale? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for taking my call. So listening to your show yesterday, I uh, decided to try and find out when my baptismal date was. And I've done this before, and I called my the parish that I was brought up in, but it real, I realized that my parents were living in a different uh, parish at the time of my birth. So I gave that parish a call today, and they informed me of the date and something else that was really surprising. Um, I was baptized two days after I was born, and the reason was they considered it an emergency baptism because I had contracted some kind of a, uh, I'm going to say a septic kind of uh, infection. And I never realized that my parents had thought that I might not make it. And so I was baptized actually in the hospital. Uh, wow. by the priest that was just across the street. Um, the parish is just across the street from the hospital that I was born in. So I've, I learned two great things today, and it really made me made me joyful that I, I now know the date of my baptism, and uh, and I can celebrate it along with my birthday. Yeah, we, we, that's one of the things we were talking about. For those listening, we were talking about uh, how Pope Francis had encouraged everybody to figure out, if you don't know already, the date that you were baptized. And of course, this was in connection with the Feast of the baptism of the Lord yesterday. And so a lot of you guys know exactly when and where you're baptized, but some of you didn't. So David, that was really cool that you were able to look that up and figure out some of the dramatic circumstances surrounding your baptism. And uh, glad you made it, glad you pulled through and uh, something to celebrate for sure every year. 
Yeah, 65 years later, I'm still here. So anyway, thanks for thanks for taking my call again. You got it, David. God bless you. That was David in Santa Rosa, California, in Northern California. And you can call in wherever you may be on the West Coast, East Coast, or anywhere in between, anywhere around the world. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. I do want to get to another question. I, we, we kind of ran out of time yesterday, and it, it's often very tight because we only have an hour for this program. And I did promise a listener that I would try to answer his question uh, he had a really good question, actually, and I, 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 this needs a little bit more time, so I figured I'd save it for today. And the question came from Robert in Fallbrook, California, in the San Diego area, and he'd asked this question. So, Robert, if you're, if you're out there still listening today, uh, feel free to call in. We'll, we'll bump you right to the front of the line. And Robert had asked, he said, quote, I'm a Methodist, and I'd really like to know what the Catholic Church teaches about what happens to non-Catholics after death. End of quote. And yeah, because you're not Catholic, that, that, that's a big question for you. So I pray that you uh, come into the Catholic Church and discover the fullness of the faith, Robert. And is it possible? Is it possible for a non-Catholic to get to heaven? The answer is, yes, it is possible. It's possible. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's not easy for Catholics either, necessarily, because let's face it, we're in a spiritual battle Every single day, we have to battle against those three ancient enemies, what Scripture calls the world, and not not the not the, the planet. Obviously, the creation itself is a very very good thing. Uh, the world, you know, sort of represents this mindset arrayed against God and against His truth that's out there in the world, exemplified through original sin. The world the flesh and the devil, and again, the flesh doesn't mean the human body is bad or anything like that. This is what's often been translated, maybe I think more properly translated in Scripture, the sinful nature. This is the concupiscence that remains in us even after baptism. We have to fight against it. it wants to kind of drag us down. And catechism really is quite blunt about all this. It says that prayer is a battle. The section on prayer in the catechism talks about the fact that, yeah, we got to fight every single day. And I think that's the the best proof that exists really for the reality of original sin that our natural habitat should be prayer as uh, creatures of our Heavenly Father and children of God and potentiality of not naturality through baptism. But we got to fight. It, it, we should be like water. It should be our natural habitat to pray, but but it's it's not. We, we, we have to make an effort. And so we've got to submit our will to God's. We've got to battle against passions, et cetera, et cetera. But we do know this. If anybody is in heaven, it's because of Jesus Christ. John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the truth is that if anyone is in heaven, it's because of the one who is true, that's Jesus Christ, even if they didn't explicitly know that in their lifetime. And the reality is that everyone is responsible for following the truth. And everybody has knows something about the truth, the truth with a capital T. Everybody's responsible for following the truth, adhering one's life to the, to, to the truth. It's just that some people have more access to the truth than others. We Catholics have access to the fullness of the faith, the fullness of the truth. And the scary thing about that is that that means we're more responsible for, for what we know. Jesus says that, kind of gives this example, the one who didn't know his master's will and didn't do it, he didn't know it and he didn't do it, will be beaten with few blows. 
but the one who knew his master's will and didn't do it will be beaten with many blows. And and that's sort of a kind of a, a I guess you could say a, a preview of punishments that may come in the afterlife. There are degrees of reward in heaven. There are also degrees of punishment in the afterlife based on one's culpability. But nonetheless, um, it's a bit of a, a parable to remind ourselves that we are responsible to seek the truth and to follow the truth once we figure it out. In our series on the Faith Explains, we're going to be going back to that. I've gotten a lot of emails about um, when are we going to go back to the second half of St. Paul's letter to the Romans on the Faith Explained program. You finished the first half. When does the second half start? It's going to start this Friday. We're going to get into Romans uh, once again. But if you missed any of those episodes, great time to get caught up. They're in the Faith Explained archives on the Relevant Radio website, the Relevant Radio app. And at the beginning of St. Paul's letter to the Romans, he talks about the fact that nobody has any excuse when it comes to God. Because everybody knows a little something about God. Everybody knows. The pagans know. They know it through their conscience. And of course, we can blunt our conscience. We can bury our conscience. We can ignore our conscience. It's the message of eternity to the soul. But everybody knows a little something about God, that message through our conscience, but also through natural revelation, through the creation itself, uh, through our contemplation of the material universe that God has made. We can know something about him, but in order to know more specific things about what he wants, what he likes, what he doesn't like, how we should live specifically, he's got to reveal that to us. And that's when supernatural revelation comes in. So people are at sort of various stages um, in that, uh, I guess you could say there's a bit of a continuum of truth. Where are you at in, in that level? Are you living in the wilderness. You've never seen a Bible, but you know, looking up at the stars, there must be a powerful creator God. Well, if that's all you know. I think that's enough to get you in if you were to be hit by a lightning bolt at that moment. But if you get more intel, more information, and I, I really do believe that if people are seeking God, if they're seeking the truth, Jesus says, seek and you will find. Somehow God is going to present you with an opportunity to learn more truth. And then the catch is, once we know it, we're responsible for that. And you might say, it's better not to know ignorance is bliss, but that's that's simply not true because this is reality whether we know it or not. And uh, what we don't know can truly hurt us. So um, I think this is, this is something that St. Paul makes very, very clear in his uh, letter to the Romans, that he's made his eternal power and his divine nature clear. So this is kind of a roundabout way to, to the point here. And to, to kind of answer your question... Robert, I'm going to actually steal a line from a friend of the program, Dr. Peter Kraft, and he kind of talks about what advantage is there in being a Catholic. Well, there's a lot, and he uses the analogy of trying to travel from New York City to Los Angeles. Now, there are a few different ways that you could try to get there, from New York to L.A. You could try to walk. You could maybe try to hitchhike. It's going to take you a long time to walk, and you might not make it. Your shoes are going to wear out. You might get hit by a car. You might fall victim to bad weather, natural disasters, you might get injured. Lots of things can happen on your way to your destination, but you could potentially get there with, with much travail and tribulation. You could also try driving from New York to L.A. That, that's a little bit more secure, right? It's, it's less time-consuming, but it's still going to cost you a lot, and, and, and there's a long and winding road there too, but with Google Maps, you can make it. But there's an even better way. You can fly. Even better if you have your own private jet, which I don't, but you can take a plane and you can be there in just a few hours. So he says being a Catholic is kind of like having a plane. 
it's kind of like having a charter jet. You, you've got a way better opportunity to get to your destinations because you've got better equipment. You've got all the helps that you need. And, and flying is like being a Catholic because we've got the advantage of having all of the Word of God, sacred scripture and sacred tradition. We've got all seven sacraments. We've got so many things that 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 others don't have. And we don't say that triumphalistically because this is a gift. This, this is not something that we've earned or deserved. It's been given to us by God. We tell other people about it. It's a little bit like one beggar telling another beggar, here's where to get the free food. Here's the best soup kitchen. Go check it out. We didn't buy the stuff, but we can eat to our heart's content here. And so depending on where, where you are in that, in that spectrum of, of knowing, not knowing about all this, um, just kind of submit that for your consideration. I hope that's helpful. It is possible for anybody to get to heaven, but it's, it's easier if we have these helps that God has given to us. God wants us to get to heaven. He, his desire is that all people come to a saving knowledge of the truth. And it, it is true that, as Jesus says in, in the Gospel of Mark, too, at the end of Mark, he says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. You must be baptized. And there's three ways to be baptized. Now, obviously, the normative way is through water and the Spirit sacramental baptism. We talked about that a lot yesterday with the baptism of the Lord, talking about your own baptism. But there's also two other kinds of baptism. There's baptism of blood, martyrdom. And one of the things that Pope Benedict talked about a lot when he was Pope was, was the necessity of being ready for martyrdom. And there are martyrs in our age. We, we think about the, the tragedies that are unfolding in, in different countries around the world. And Pope Francis alluded to that in his State of the World address yesterday, what's going on in Nigeria, what's going on in Nicaragua. Even bishops being arrested, uh, thrown in prison, Catholic Christians paying for their faith with their lives, being driven out of their homes. So th this is a reality in our modern world as well. So there's baptism of blood. The church has always said, even if you haven't been baptized sacramentally, the shedding of your blood for the gospel of Jesus Christ serves as your baptism. You go straight to heaven. And then, of course, there's baptism of desire, which I think covers a lot of folks who are looking for God and they just don't have the answers because they haven't found them yet. Maybe we haven't told them. Maybe we have a part to play. We, we are kind of, we are our brother's keeper. We are responsible for our brothers and sisters around us, at least I'm not saying you have to put on a sandwich board and preach to them every day, but, but our lives do have to bear testimony because we may be the only Catholics that they know that they ever will meet and have a relationship with. So Whew, lots to lots to think about there, but but hopefully that's a, a bit of an answer to your question, Robert, in the San Diego area. Appreciate that ever so much. Hey, listen, we got to take another quick break right now on the Kale Clark Show, but we will be back with much more. Really fun segment ahead. I hope you'll stick around. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. If you want to call in, and we'll be right back. This is the Kale Clark Show giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the show. We've got a few minutes left in the program. Got a couple open phone lines. Great time to get in. 888-914-9149. If you want to react to any of the stuff that we've been talking about so far, let's go to the phones right now. Let's go to Farmersville, Texas. In North Texas, Eric is on the line. Hi, Eric. Hi, Kale. Hey, thanks for calling in. Of course. Yeah, I just had a quick question on, you know, the advantages of being Catholic. Mm -hmm. But when we consider those folks in North Korea where missionaries are, you know, sparse, yeah, 
to what extent is it more difficult for them to get into heaven when we consider, you know, aspects of in, invincible ignorance? Yeah, that, that's that's a great question uh, to bring up, Eric. I'm really glad that you asked that. This whole concept of invincible ignorance. <laughs> okay, so for, first of all, let me get let me get to your to your hypothetical question, which is not necessarily a hypothetical question. It's it's a real question. People are uh, suffering in places like North Korea. And missionaries are not allowed in necessarily. How do these people find out about the gospel? And this is also true in a number of majority Muslim countries that do not allow Christian missionaries of any uh, background, whether it be Catholic, Protestant, or Orthodox, into those lands. How do those people find out about Christ? Very recently on the program, I don't know if you caught this, Eric, but we did a show about, and this is remarkable, there have been a number of credible reports about people, even in Gaza, uh, in the ongoing conflict uh, that's happening there uh, with the Israel-Hamas war, people have been experiencing visions of Christ in Gaza, and sometimes hundreds of people. Uh, there was one particular incident where 200 uh, Muslim men dreamed the exact same dream about Jesus Christ, and they all kind of compared notes and said, what is going on here? And I've heard that from from missionaries. I, I happen to know personally a, a man who, I can't give his name uh, for security reasons, but he was a, a missionary in a, in a closed Muslim country, and he talked about that a lot, how it's very common knowledge. And there's, this has been played out in, in literature, too. There's a lot of, uh, there's a body of evidence on this, that people, God, God will try anything to get to people, and very often people encounter Christ through dreams and visions. So it's not out of the realm of possibility for God to work that way through extraordinary means, if you will. But um, at, at the end of the day, everyone who, who dies and stands before the judgment seat of Christ, they're never going to say, I didn't have a fair shot at this. I didn't have a chance because I didn't know. They may not have had the full picture of information that, that they would have been great to have, but everybody's got some information, just like everybody gets a little bit of sunlight in the world. Some some places around the equator, if you're down in Florida, Miami Beach, you get a lot. If you're in Greenland, not so much, but you do get some sunlight. It's the same way with truth and knowledge about God. Everybody's got a little bit to go on. And it's what you do with that that really counts uh, in God's sight. Does that, does that uh, sort of help to answer the question a little bit, Eric? It does help. Um, it's just... The advantage of being Catholic in that case, you know, if everybody receives some sort of light through their conscience and has a, that fair shot into heaven, where does the advantage of having the fullness of truth really come in? Oh, there, there's a huge advantage. There's an absolute advantage because, it, like we were sort of talking about easier uh, earlier, rather, um, uh, Dr. Peter Crave's analogy with the plane, like flying from New York to L.A. as opposed to walking or driving, it, it does make it, it doesn't mean that it's a guarantee that you're going to get in because you still have to cooperate with God's grace. You have to st- steer clear of mortal sin. If you've committed a mortal sin, you've got you to gotta deal with that. You've got to repent. You've got to get con- to confession if possible. If you're a Catholic, of course, you'll take advantage of that sacrament. And so we've got helps that are truly helpful to, to help us to get there. And there's, it's not as if there's a guarantee that non-Catholics will get there. The Church just teaches it's possible for them, and it certainly is possible for them. But why not take advantage of the helps that, that you have if you, if you can get a hold of it? And the other thing, too, about I want to mention one more comment about invincible ignorance. I've always found it to be 
so much can people really claim invincible ignorance, at least in certain parts of the world where we've got access to the net, we've got access to technology, we can access the search engines if we truly want to know the truth about about our faith, about Jesus Christ, about the scriptures. The answers are there. The truth is out there. It's like the X-Files. The truth is out there. Can anybody really claim in the information age invincible ignorance? And I, I, I don't know. I, I, think it's, I think it's a hard claim for some people. But, but it, sometimes I talk to my priest friends about this and, and some theology professors that I know, and they'll say, Kale, believe it or not, some people really, it is really still a thing with invincible ignorance, even in the West, uh, even in technologically uh, proficient societies, because people don't even know that they should look for these things, which seems almost impossible. But, but for some, I, I guess I guess it's a reality. They they, they don't even think that they should be. Lo- and, and maybe it's because they they think that they've been, their minds have been poisoned against the church, and and um, there's so much bad publicity about the faith and, and the actions of a lot of Catholics don't don't exactly help credibility of the cause. Let's face it. Um, and maybe their minds have been poisoned against even looking for this stuff in the first place. But I think there's also, and, and the other thing too, Eric, there's always the moral question too. If you're in a lifestyle of sin that, that has a way of affecting your theology, let's face it, and, and whether or not you're actually looking for the truth, because somewhere in your conscience, you kind of know, I'm going to have to change this behavior. I'm going to have to get rid of this. I'm going to have to disavow this particular sin, if it really is a sin, and if there really is such a thing as God, the judgment, eternal life, and I'm not sure I want to do that right now. And by the way, this can even affect very, you know, people who are predisposed to looking for God. People like St. Augustine. When St. Augustine was in the RCIA class, if you will, he'd already decided, okay, got to get back in the Catholic Church, but he had a mistress while he was in RCIA. And maybe this is around the time when he said, God, make me pure, but not yet. Can we wait a few months? And then he finally said, no, this is ridiculous. But, um, but, but I, I don't know. There's, I think there's a lot of factors involved in, in a play, Eric. Because people are complicated, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a topic that's come up. You know, I've, I've evangelizing or attempting to evangelize my family. It's, um, you know, when we say everybody has a fair shot, but there's also an advantage to being Catholic, it's kind of, in a sense, contradictory, at least in my understanding, in that, fairness and having an advantage don't really um, um, make sense in the same yeah. uh, way. Maybe we can call it an unfair advantage. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> hey, I, I'm glad we have these advantages for, for my sake. I, I need them. That, that is for sure. That is absolutely true. And hey, hey, Eric, man, I appreciate the call. I appreciate you listening in North Texas. And are you a Cowboys fan? Uh, Broncos fan, actually. Ah, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, hey, so, well, I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, there are hopefully brighter days ahead, I think. And uh, Coach Sean Payton, I think we'll, we'll get things figured out at some point. But lots of drama, lots of drama in Denver and um, big game for the Cowboys playing the Green Bay Packers this uh, this weekend in the, in the big coveted 425 p.m. Sunday time slot during the plays. Anyways, we're, we're, we're digressing here. But, Eric, thank you so much for the call. Please call back anytime. Let's go to our good friend Paul in Youngstown, Ohio. Hi, Paul. Happy New Year. Hi, Kale. I just wondered if you ever saw the episode of The Simpsons where they go to heaven and Marge and Lisa are in Protestant heaven and Bart and Homer (laughs) are in Catholic heaven and Marge and Lisa are looking over at how exciting things are in Catholic heaven. They have mariachi bands and they're hitting pinatas and they're wrestling (laughs) 
<laughs> and then they're standing there in Protestant heaven with a bunch of boring, waspy people. And I wondered if you thought it would be something like that. I, I, I have never seen that episode, but uh, producer Jim Shaper, that, that is probably his favorite episode ever of The Simpsons. He talks about it uh, quite a bit. It, it's a, apparently a very funny scene. I haven't seen it personally, uh, but it, it is, it's somewhat humorous. And it, it, it's kind of the flip side of that is that the secular mind, the, I always think about that, that old song from Billy Joel, Only the Good Die Young. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Only the good die young. You know that line. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. The sinners are not having more fun. And um, I think everybody in Catholic is, is uh, pretty happy to be there. A supernatural joy, that's for sure. But but they're not having more fun. The sinners are not having more fun. This is one of the lies of the evil one. Because, it, yeah, there, there is certainly a momentary enjoyment in sin, but it's kind of a stolen pleasure because the devil can't create anything. All of what God created is good, but sin kind of comes about through disordered goods. When we misuse the good things that God has created, the wrong time, the wrong thing, or the right, wrong place, the wrong person, that sort of thing. But he can't actually create anything. So he gets, just gets us to misuse things and misappropriate things outside of God's plan for them. And so I think of the goods of marriage. That's a great example. And uh, think of, of, of the, the, the good of a child. We, we had that discussion earlier in the program with Father Robert Gall about uh, the scourge of, of surrogacy. People want the love of a child. They want to give their love to a child, but they want to go about this in a way that is not of God's plan. And so that, that's, that's one example there. But, but it's the saints that are so... Sinners are also dreadfully alike. I think Peter Crave said that too. But, but the saints, it's like... Vive la différence. Everybody is is a unique personality, and and the saints are all very very joyful for the most part. And yeah, they have their personalities and quirks. People like Saint Jerome, he can be kind of cantankerous by nature, but but they they really are experiencing the true joys. And I think that's what one thing that we can hopefully demonstrate to the world: the joys of the faith, the joyful piety of the faith. It's one thing that it's one of the hallmarks of Relevant Radio, and and hopefully of this program and. So glad that you've joined in today. We talked earlier about the importance of mission. Well, the mission of Relevant Radio is to bring Christ to the world through the media. Thanks for joining me on the Kale Clark Show. Jim Schaefer produced Patrick Alog, took your phone calls. Catch you tomorrow. Kimry's up next. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.